For our sermon tonight, we're going to be reading Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 20. A few months ago, we worked through Mark chapters 1 to 3. In the next few weeks, I'm going to be picking up Mark chapter 4 on and off through, uh, through the end of the year. Tonight, we'll be reading the first 20 verses of this chapter. And this is the first time in the gospel of Mark that Jesus tells a parable. This is uh, God's word for us tonight. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things... Come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. As we reflect on this parable tonight, I'll be talking about the sower and then about the types of soils, the bad and good soil, and finally about the seeds. So we'll begin by talking about the sower, and we'll start by talking about a smart farmer. A smart farmer. So a couple weeks ago, my family and I went to South Dakota near the Sioux Falls area. Laura has a lot of family there, and a number of them are farmers. And when we were there, it was soybean harvest time. So we spent a lot of time riding on the tractors, riding on the combine. And there was one particular afternoon that I was on the combine with one of the boys and with Laura's Uncle Joseph. And Uncle Joseph, he's been a farmer all his life, and he, he was having some trouble that day. I didn't really understand all that he was muttering and mumbling about, but he was thinking about the different grades of the soil and the contours of the field and what parts of the field were more damp and what parts were more dry. And he kept taking different approaches with the combine. He'd go straight down the way they'd planted the grain and he'd be 
checking his little thing that showed what yield he was getting and watching both sides and looking at the back to see how many beans he was getting and thinking the whole time. And then he'd get to the end of that and he'd mutter and he'd mumble and then he'd go sideways across the field to try to get a different angle on it to get a better harvest. And after that, more muttering and mumbling. And then he decided to take a different angle and sort of curve along. And he did this the whole afternoon. He was always trying a little different approach and looking around and trying to make absolutely sure, trying to make absolutely sure that he was maximizing his harvest. He wanted to maximize his combine time because running that thing is expensive, and he wanted to get every single bushel that he could get out of that field. All the times we've been in South Dakota for planting, too, they're really, they're careful, they're precise, they follow the lay of the land, they do everything they can to maximize their crop. That's a smart farmer. He's got limited resources, and he tries to maximize them. So that's what a smart farmer does. But the farmer that we hear about in this parable, he's a foolish farmer. He's kind of dumb, actually, to be honest with you. He's got this crazy approach to planting that he just goes out there, and you almost have the sense he's just windmilling seed out there, just throwing it everywhere. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. Jesus is giving us this picture of a farmer who's out there sowing like a crazy fool. Doesn't matter if it's good soil, bad soil, whatever. Throw some seed on it and keep moving. And I think the original audience of Jesus' parable would have been a little bit, little bit perplexed by why this guy was doing what he's doing. He sounds really, really foolish. But he sounds foolish only if he's trying to be efficient. He sounds foolish if he's a farmer with, with limited resources and he wants to maximize his return on investment and so he has to be really, really careful. But Jesus wants us to understand that this farmer doesn't need to be careful with his resources. This farmer's goal is to be, to be generous, to be extravagant. And as we hear this parable, we're supposed to understand that Jesus is the sower. Jesus is the farmer, and he's come with God's word, and he has infinite resources, and he doesn't have to worry and wonder about whether he has enough. There is always enough, always enough to be generous. And so Jesus, as this farmer, he's spreading seed to all kinds of soil. And as he's telling this parable... As Jesus is telling this parable, in the act of telling it, he's also acting it out. As Jesus tells this parable, he is the spiritual farmer who is sowing God's word into the lives of the people who are listening to him. And in many respects, just like that foolish farmer, Jesus is scattering seed on all kinds of soil. Some of it good, much of it pretty bad. Now, of course, as he does this, Jesus talks about how there's bad soil and there's good soil. But let's, let's talk about the bad soil. Mark chapter 4 begins by telling us that Jesus is speaking to the crowd. And almost without exception, when you read the crowd, when you read the crowd in the gospel of Mark, you should hear the bad people. The crowd almost always in Mark is bad news. For Mark, at best, the crowd means bandwagon people, people who've, who've showed up for a show. 
They've heard there's this latest wandering rabbi, and they wonder if he's got some good digs at the Romans, and they think he might be kind of a good storyteller, so they show up for some entertainment. And if the bandwagon takes a turn they don't like, they'll just get off and go home. These are not people who are interested in the substance of Jesus' ministry. These are people who are they're just along for the ride. And that's the best of the crowd. If we think back to chapters 2 and 3 of Mark, a lot of other people who've gathered around him, well, there's the religious leaders who over the last couple chapters have come to hate Jesus more and more to the point in chapter 3 they basically said, you're in league with the devil. You're possessed by Satan. And then in the story right before this one, we read that Jesus' family thinks he's gone crazy. They think he is off his rocker. So they come and they basically want to kidnap him and carry him off and hush him up because they don't like the fuss that he's making. That's the crowd that Jesus is speaking to here in Mark chapter 4. People who are just along for the show. People who hate him. People who think he is just nuts. And Jesus isn't really interested in catering to any of those folks. He doesn't want people just tagging along for a nice show. He's not interested in maintaining, maintaining the religious status quo or keeping the honor of his family in conformity in the right way. He, he doesn't want any of those things. What Jesus wants is to be the king. And what he wants is for people to follow him. And so one of the driving questions of the gospel of Mark, one of the driving questions of Jesus' ministry is who will follow and who will not. And it seems like many in the crowd will not. Now in just a minute, I'm going to talk some more about the specific types of bad soil that Jesus talks about. But before we do that, I want to maybe reset how we hear this story a little bit. We have this human tendency whenever we hear about there being a good group and a bad group that we segment ourselves off from the bad group and we put ourselves in the good group. The bad people are always the people out there and we don't belong with them. The sinners are always the people out there but I'm not part of that group. And the good people are always the people in here and that's where we belong. And you know, by God's grace, we do belong in here, and it is good to be here. But we need, when we hear the scriptures, not to automatically take ourselves out of the category of the people who still need to hear the good news. When we hear the scriptures, we need sometimes to still hear hear them challenge us and hear them speak to us. Except for the grace of God, none of us are any good at all. And so tonight as we talk about the bad soil, we're not just going to talk about the people out there. I want us also to reflect on how sometimes in our lives maybe these are challenges for us. So let's talk about the three different types of bad soil, the three different images that Jesus gives us, the three challenges, if you will, to really holding on to God's word. And first we'll talk about the challenge of evil attacks. Some people receive the word, Jesus tells us, but then Satan comes along and snatches it out, and so it's not fruitful. And I feel like, as we've talked through Mark the last few months and through Colossians a couple months ago, that I'm ending up talking about Satan a lot more than I usually would. It seems like there's this 
there's this sense in Mark of spiritual warfare that's a little more upfront maybe than some other texts might lead us to. We can go too far with that, but I think it's good for us it's good for us to realize that there is enemy action out there. It's good for us to realize that we are in the midst of a battle between good and evil. And it can be hard to discern what is spiritual attack and what is acts of Satan or whatever and what's just regular life in a broken world. But I think as Christians, we're wise to have our radar, radar out for how, how we might be under spiritual attack. It's wise for us not just to insist that everything is easy for us to understand and everything functions at an obvious level, but for us to reflect more deeply. Are there things at work? Are there forces that are, that are impacting us in ways that maybe we don't always understand? We should be not obsessed about it, but we should be on guard against the attacks of the evil one because that's one way that people lose focus on the Word of God. On second tonight, we'll talk about the challenge of troubles. Some soil, some people in this parable, they get all excited about the word and they grow and they're excited, but they don't ever put down any roots. And then when things get hard, when anything hard comes along, they just wither away. Their faith just falls apart. And let's... Let's not pretend that life isn't hard, right? I think really as Christians, probably, probably the hardest challenge we have to our faith for ourselves and from the world out there is this question of suffering. The question of why God would allow so many bad things in His world is probably the greatest challenge we have to belief. I've heard and you've probably heard people say, I just can't believe in a God who would let something like this happen. And the this there can be all kinds of things. I can't believe in a God who would let pick your national or international tragedy happen. I can't believe in a God who would let this kind of thing happen to my beloved family member. I can't believe in a God who would let this happen to me. And the troubles of life do make it hard to believe sometimes. This is a reality of our lives. When we go through hard times, it is a challenge to our faith, and we should not pretend otherwise. And so I think it's worth asking ourselves, especially if we're in good times, but even when we're in bad times, how... How deeply rooted are we really in Jesus? Are we just here for the good times? Are we just here because it's easy? Are we just going with the flow? Or are we really digging deep into God's word and getting ready for challenges? It's tough. It's tough to hold on to Jesus when troubles and when persecution come. And if we aren't preparing all the time, we will be lost when that hard time comes. It's hard to hold on to the faith in hard times. Though honestly, if you step outside of the faith, hard times just get worse because then, then you really don't have anything to hold on to. 
If we don't have deep spiritual roots, one way or another, we end up withering away when hard times come. So it's worthwhile to be doing a gut check on ourselves and to be asking, am I really growing deeper in the faith or am I just kind of coasting along? Now the third challenge that Jesus mentions is the challenge of the opposite of troubles, the challenge of good things. Jesus tells us that some people hear the word, but it gets choked out by all, well, all the worries of this life, but also by all the pleasures of this life. Some people are pulled away by trouble, but others are pulled away by the reality that life can be pretty good. And especially if life is going well, you might have heard people say, maybe not in this many words, but heard people basically say, I'm good. I have no need of God because my life is fine. And if life is good, it's hard for us sometimes to hear the good news of Jesus Christ who died and rose to save us. It's hard to feel why that matters if we've got gas stations and grocery stores and hospitals and malls and everything we want within easy driving distance. When we have everything we need, it can be really hard for us to keep feeling like we need Jesus. Now, all the wealth the world has to offer will eventually let us down, and all the pleasures of the world end up being empty. But before we get to that point, in the meantime, as it were, it's really easy to get pulled away. It's really easy to just kind of coast along and think, hey, life is good, and to think that we don't really need God. And so just as it's good for us to think about how we'll respond in hard times and prepare for those, it's good for us to think, too, how do we respond in good times? How do we respond when life is going well, when our career is advancing, when our family is growing, when things are wonderful? Do we keep growing deeper in the Word, or do we just kind of just coast along? We should beware of the devil of the distress in our lives, and of the deceitfulness of this world as we try to follow God. But then let's also talk tonight about what it means to be good soil. Jesus tells us this parable in part to call us away from being bad soil, but then he invites us to respond too, and he gives us three ways that people respond well to him. And the first is that good soil, people who who follow Jesus, they listen to the word. When the word comes along, people who belong to Jesus listen. In verse 9, at the end of the parable, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And in a couple weeks, I'm going to dig a little bit more into verses 9 and 12 there in that funny part where Jesus seems to be saying, I'm talking in parables so those people won't understand. We'll dig more into that for in a couple weeks. But for tonight, let's think about that phrase, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you could just as well translate that, he who has ears to listen, let him listen. The first step in responding to Jesus is just that we listen, that we pay attention, that we don't let the words just glide by, but we actually grab hold of them and reflect on them. And the second step, once we've listened to the word, is to to accept it. You can listen to what someone says and then decide to walk away anyway, but good soil listens and internalizes the word. 
If we really belong to Jesus, then we accept what He says. We accept what the Word says, as Pastor Greg talked about this morning, to lead what we believe and to lead how we live. If we accept the Word, that means we treat it as the authority for everything that we do, for doctrine and for life. And then the third step that Jesus mentions is that the good soil produces a crop. Jesus wraps up by saying the, goods, the, the, the seed that fell on good soil produces a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And if we believe in Jesus, if we really accept the word, then we should produce a crop. There are seasons of our life where we'll be able to produce amazing things for God, and there may be other seasons where we just kind of get by. 30 was a pretty average yield back in those days. 60 was a great year. 100 was a bumper crop. And Jesus is saying, you know, different believers, different people, and even us at different stages of life, there may be times when we can just kind of just do enough spiritually. There may be times that we just kind of get over the bar. And there may be other times where we're in situations to produce an incredible crop for the Lord, to take the word and to really do great things for God. But the key is that whatever stage of life we're at, that we listen to the word, that we accept the word, and that we respond by producing a crop. This parable tells us we need to respond. We need to hear God's word and do something with it. We are called to act. We're called to be good soil, not bad soil. But finally for tonight, I want to talk about the seed. The seed. Fred Bruner is a really well-known commentator on the Gospels, Gospel of Mark and Matthew especially. And he in his commentary lays out a number of options for how we can understand this parable. He has any number of them. But the two that he thinks are probably the best are responsibility and power. Do we read this parable about being about responsibility or power? And the point I just made, and a lot of this sermon actually has been talking about the responsibility of the soil. What do we do? When we hear God's word, how do we respond? And there's a long, good, solid history of interpreting the parable along these lines. And I think we need to, we need to hear that. The parable of the sower should call us to really reflect on our lives. To ask ourselves, am I really hearing the word and internalizing it? To ask ourselves, am I really following the Lord or am I not? What type of soil am I? And regardless of how long we've been in the faith, regardless of how strong we are, it's still good for us to think about that. To reflect on our responsibility to respond. But there's a problem if we just focus on this as a parable about our responsibility. We quickly get moralistic if that's our only focus, and we get kind of, well, kind of flat and kind of boring, to be honest with you, and it becomes all about, well, do this, do this, do this, and we, we start to lose the gospel. And so that's why, Bruner, and that's why I think we need to, when it comes down to it, we need to think of this not as a parable about the responsibility of the soil, but a parable about the power of the word. This is a power parable. 
It's a parable. It's a story about God's power. As Jesus explains this parable, he uses the word to sow seven times. And he says the word eight times. If you listen to it with that, there's this refrain, this chorus in those last verses that we read for today. The, the, the seed, sow the word, sow the word, sow the word, sow the word. Jesus says that so often that we should hear it as a shout in the midst of his interpretation of this parable. And the one who sows the word, it isn't us. The one that Jesus is really talking about in this parable, it isn't really us. This parable is really about Jesus. Jesus is calling attention to the word being sown and to the word to himself who came to us. That's why if you look at the subject heading in the NIV and in most other Bibles, but not all other Bibles, it says this is the parable of the sower. We sometimes think about it as the parable of the soils, but it's not really that. What it is is the parable of the sower. It's a parable about Jesus who comes to us and gives us God's word. Jesus does want us to respond, but when we respond to God, it's not that we take the first step. It's not that we look at what we do and we need, no. We begin by seeing what God has done for us. It's not, first of all, about the ground getting up and walking around and figuring out what's going on. It's about the farmer coming to us and giving us the seed that we need. Underneath everything that we do as believers, underneath absolutely everything that we do to respond to God is God's prior grace to us. Jesus, the sower, comes and he gives us God's word. At the beginning of this sermon, I talked about how the farmer in this parable is really foolish, and I think he is. He is so generous that he is foolish. He is so generous that he throws grace out there on all kinds of people who don't deserve it. God is so extravagantly gracious that he comes to us. And we see that in Jesus here as he, he invites people to follow him. And we've seen that if you read through the gospel of Mark, you see it in Jesus healing people. You see it in him teaching us about the kingdom of God. And then we see it in Jesus as he gives his own life for us. God is extravagantly, amazingly, almost foolishly gracious and giving to us. So the parable of the sower should it should encourage us to respond. It should encourage us to examine ourselves even as believers and say, am I, really, am I really growing roots? Am I really holding on? But even more than that, it should encourage us to look again to Jesus, to look again to God's word and to be encouraged, to be amazed, to be grateful because God has come to us. May we all hear 
accept and respond to God's word planted in us by Jesus. Let's pray.